You're listening to the Rumalicious Podcast, where we talk about travel, food, health, entertainment, and everything in between. Your host is Malika Bowling. Find articles and reviews at rumalicious.com. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Here's Malika Bowling. Hi, everyone. So my friend from high school, Valerie Yielding, is a teacher. And last year, she moved her family from Charleston, South Carolina to Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, which is quite a move. Now, Saudi Arabia has only recently started lifting restrictions against women, and it's still pretty oppressive, and it has a history of brutality towards dissidents and journalists that speak out against the country. So I was really surprised to hear that she decided to move there. She's a bubbly person and not someone I would expect to move there at all. But she shares her journey about why she chose to move there and what it's like to be a teacher in Saudi Arabia. So tell me, Valerie, what... What made you move to Saudi Arabia in the first place? Teachers in the United States, unfortunately, it's a profession that you do because you love it. Mm -hmm. Um, You love the kids. You love, you're passionate about your subject rather than you're doing something for a paycheck. And and I know this isn't, my story is not unique. In the United States, they're struggling to pay their bills. So a big, probably the biggest, factor in our move was hoping for a better lifestyle for our family. And um, with that, not just finances, but also the time, the the quality of time, the financial freedom, Mm -hmm. the time freedom, um, being able to travel the world with our family. So that's something I did when I was single. Um, I created a pretty, I think, ambitious goal. Um, Some people would say preposterous. I wanted to travel all to all seven continents. And so before I was 28, I think, mm-hmm. I um, went to Antarctica. So I was like, this is great. I love traveling. I would love to share these experiences. You know, it, when you see a sunset, it's wonderful. But when you can share that experience, it's even more beautiful, right? So um, to have an opportunity to show my girls the world is a dream come true. So it's like Trump's me going to all seven continents, um, for sure. So those were our big factors, just financial freedom, time freedom, quality of life, and and really being able to go to the same school or teach where my own children are students. And that was one of Georgia Lee, who was age five at the time, said her dream was for me to be her teacher, that we could go to the same school. Scott and I, I interviewed with, um, oh gosh, let me think if I can remember. It's ISS, it's the International School, I can't remember what the other S stands for. So um, they had a big job fair in December of 2018, and it looked like a big ballroom. We walked in, and there were these schools representing all kinds of different countries, and you just sort of, I've never done speed dating, but that's what it seemed like. You sit down, and you're like, okay. Looks mm-hmm. like you have a history position open. Excellent. Looks like you have a speech position. Great. Let's talk. And you do like a five-minute interview, and then, um, you know, you meet for a second interview. So I say all that to say when Scotty and I interviewed, there were a lot of schools we were interested in, but not it, – it's like you have to match up, right? They have to have mm-hmm. positions for both you and your and your spouse. So um, I got down to Jeddah. Jeddah, Saudi Arabia is where they had openings for both of us. So – that's kind of went full circle and a big long story to go back to. I feel like 
Jether chose us. Like that's um, the school that had the openings and, and I think we fit well for those openings. When you told your family and your friends, hey, we're moving to Saudi Arabia, what was their reaction? <laughs> a lot of the, I, I'll be honest, like majority, so excited, kind of looked at me like, where? They know me as a traveler and they know that I love to go to different countries and people and speak new languages, but Saudi Arabia was not on my map for sure. I mean, I, I would definitely like in my personality and being outgoing and just free spirit down more in South America, Brazil specifically, you know, here I have to wear an abaya and there's no, uh, it's a dry country. So no alcohol, not that that plays a big part in my life by any means, but when you're quarantined, it would definitely be nice. Right. Um, oh, absolutely. <laughs> so I can't imagine. Make their own. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people actually make their own um, wine. And so someone just gifted me here with, with this glass that I'm drinking, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't on my list by any means. So my husband's a football coach. Like when I met him, he was coaching at the high school level, but his dream had been to coach college. The first 10 years of our marriage, we were traveling all over the U.S., the continental U.S., and going to different stadiums. That was our life. It was, um, let's see, Oklahoma State, and then to Charleston for the Citadel, then up to University of Illinois, then back down to the to the Citadel. So football families, I liken them to military families in the sense that you travel and you are constantly moving. But unlike military families, you know, I, I'm not fearful for my husband's life or, you know, just starkly different. So I have to even compare them. So he just wasn't uh, satisfied with his profession. It's cutthroat. Um, doesn't really matter if you're the best candidate for the job. It matters who your daddy is and who your uncle is and, and who you played for. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's like yeah. good old boy to yeah. the degree. So he was kind of jaded by that whole profession. And so um, he was ready to try something new. And I think that also gained support of our own family because they were like, you know, you haven't been happy coaching football, which you thought you would be at the college level. And it just wasn't his philosophy is let me, you know, be there to coach these guys, not just to win football games, bring them up as men in the world. And, and a lot of coaches, unfortunately, that are coaching at the college level, they're all about the wins. They're all about the victories so that they can get their next job. They're not yeah, in absolutely. it for the kid. So he was ready for a change. So I think in that regard, our family was very positive. Like, yes, y'all do this. It'll be a good move. But one of our high school friends, she started to rock when I made the announcement that like, um, we were all together in Tennessee, like sitting down for dinner. I guess there were six good friends that we've known each other since elementary school. And she just started to rock. You know, that's like a soothing mechanism. It's like, it's going to be okay, Jess. I know it's different. I've never been. I don't really know what to expect we hear things and you see things on the news i know that's not the way it is i'm you know we just we'll give it a shot but how long are you gonna be there you're not coming back i'll be back for the summer jess like she was very um she probably had the most um unique reaction but also like physically like physically upsetting because we're living in charleston south carolina and there's 
nothing bad I can say. Well, I mean, there is. I mean, there, Charleston has its issues too. There's a lot of racial divide, but I mean, when you're talking about pinpoint on a map, where do you want to live one day? Charleston, South Carolina. It's not just high on my list. It's been voted number one city, not just in the United States, the world. Like it's by Condé Nast and I, it, it's an exceptional city. Nobody should leave. I just wanted to provide my kids uh, a better lifestyle and, you know, good, good schools and just everything, everything you can think of. Mm -hmm. and, and, and really for the diversity too, I just feel like, I don't know, I have big dreams for my girls that maybe my little Savannah, who's blonde and blue eyes and she looks so sweet, but man, she is a lion inside that she'll become some cool, like secret agent speaking Arabic one day. Cause she's, she's got that real strong personality, but to be brought up in a bilingual school and meet people from all over the world and big factor for so the girls. Did you speak any Arabic before you moved there? Did you learn any? Or how did that <laughs> no. go? It's, a, it's really hard. I tried to, I tried to get like tapes and listen to the tapes and then like CDs in the minivan with the girls like a month or so. We didn't really know if it was all going to pan out. They offered us the job late May, so super late hire. Um, and then with all the paperwork and how difficult it is to even get into this country, like to be, we are a guest of the king. <laughs> On my phone right now, and I'm not making this up, Malika, it says stay home. So instead of like your AT&T carrier, you know, you look up at your phone, it says AT&T. Mm -hmm. You give you the service bars. It says stay home in capital letters. And it's said that for maybe over four weeks now. And it's hard to um, establish your residency here and get a visa. And the school was very honest with us and they helped us tremendously. And literally like the day I was supposed to report pre-planning in Charleston is when I got my visa. And I knew it was legit like I'm going to Saudi Arabia. Arabia. So I moved and and then I had to come back for my husband and the girls like two weeks later after I established residency, which is in Saudi, like uh, a big role reversal. Typically, it's the husband that goes, mm -hmm. um, but my visa came through first. And so I went first. And when I got here, it astounded people like, wait, well, where's your husband? He's supposed to be like the sponsor. And that kind of gave me just a glimpse of the progressiveness that I would see in the next couple of months unfold. And it's been, to me, super exciting to see women. Now, if you are visiting, which that just came, I think, September, tourist visas were granted. So people couldn't even come to Saudi Arabia just to visit. I flew here August 19th by myself. That just so happened to be when the law was changed. So typically a female would have to have a male, a family member who was male, their consent to travel. They couldn't travel. You couldn't just like, I'm going to Dubai this weekend. Mm -hmm. You'd have to get paperwork to say, my husband grants me permission. Oh so I think gosh. that's pretty cool that mm -hmm. I, on August 19th, the same date that that new law came into effect. The term that other acts have used is like full ninja. So basically you'll see someone from Saudi Arabia walking around typically as a woman. It's black from head to toe. Mm -hmm. the, um, the abaya, the hijab, the sometimes even like that little like mask thing. 
I think it's just hijab altogether. Mm-hmm. And so I can bust in a colorful abaya and that's okay now. Or I could even have my abaya open. Does that make sense? And that's I mean, that, like recent in the last couple months then? Or like since last year, I guess. You're yes. Saying. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then I believe it was September that, hey, tourist visas will not be granted. And if you are a tourist, then you come to our country and just know that we're conservative in our dress and, and out of respect, show us respect by dressing conservatively. And so there was even like articles that would show um, at least quarter length sleeve, at least like a skirt or dress coming past the knee. I went down, there's a corniche, like a place right on the Red Sea that people go out and they walk and at sunset, it's kind of like where all the families go and take their picnics and they'll set up. And I wore a tracksuit and it was like not tight whatsoever, kind of like your Adidas 1980s style, you know, mm-hmm, sure. zip up. So fully covered. Um, but I had like women stopping taking pictures of me, not because I'm so cute. It's like because this is monumental for them to see still way covered up way conservative but not in an abaya it's super exciting i think being a woman here to see that progression at the same time i see the opposite that men will just cut in front or like i don't know you're waiting for the post office whatever the case may be as if females are less than males and and they have mentality oftentimes Mm -hmm. i don't every man here obviously but um even in the court of law, I can't remember how the statistic or the uh, the breakdown goes, but it's something like for every male, like if he says, this is what happened on this day, and a woman counters his argument, then she needs four other people. Does that make sense? It oh, could be, gosh. well, he said yeah. this and she said uh-huh. that. It's like she's, her, her word is a fourth oh, my of man's. And that's by law. I mean, I'm so you know, if you if you have these laws, then you're going to have these beliefs. And oh, I was going to say, women were just granted driving. I'm going to say that was March of 2019. Yeah, I wonder. It seems like there's a lot of change, um, like all of a sudden. So the king is, um, I think, progressive in the sense that he realizes, like, oil money is soon going to dry out. Like they have to, as a country, look at other industries to continue to be um, profitable in, in a world market. And so one of the areas he's tapping into is tourism. Well, if you're opening it up to tourism, then you're going to have to grant tourist visas, for example. You're going to have to start having alcohol available at hotels or maybe, um, you know, resorts or like all-inclusive hotels, places like that, that are on the ocean. I mean, this, the Red Sea is gorgeous, just untapped. You could snorkel. There's like a private beach that school is part of a membership with. Um, and we get discounted tickets and I literally can just like walk in and put on a mask and see amazing fish. People haven't damaged it as, as many, um, travelers that go through, let's say, the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. They just don't have the traffic, the foot traffic, the people um, have such pristine waters. And, and I hope that they, I hope that the country preserves that. 
Um, but the King's big vision, you can look it up. It's uh, the 2030 vision mm-hmm. where he is really wanting to, to put Saudi Arabia on the map as not just oil, but just there's so much more in tourism. But it's Mecca, and you don't have to do anything about that to make it more appealing. So I'm learning a lot about the Muslim faith. All Muslims are required to take a pilgrimage to Mecca. That's the Holy Land. It would be like, you know, the Israel and Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You have people from all over the world, literally all over the world, and different social classes. I mean, everybody who's Muslim comes, uh, which is great. And people have told us as expats, they're like, you're going to get all the sickness that you had no idea because people coming from all over the world. So the fact that um, like mid-February, Saudi Arabia said, okay, Mecca's closed. Like that was a big deal. It's all about the religion and it's all about Allah. And, you know, if you're closing Mecca, there's a, there's a big reason for that. So now Mecca's on a 24-hour lockdown. It's to keep people safe and, and well. So Yeah, um, and so I, I bet they respect it more, too, there than they do here because we were told, you know, we should quarantine. I'm sure you've heard stories from your friends over here in the States, and it's like people are just not listening. You know, they had people down yeah. in Florida, the, the spring breakers, um, you know, mm-hmm. they said, oh, no, we have to have our spring break. So they went down to Miami and, you know, just the pictures. I couldn't believe yep. it, you know, what's going on. And, of yeah. course, then they all dispersed and spread it. So that's disappointing. Yeah. I think, and I think given, given this, like, a dictatorship, mm-hmm. people don't mess around. And then you add the religious component. I mean, it's basically it's a, it's a country run on Islam. You don't, mess, you don't mess with Allah. I mean, it's like, no, you stay home. So I did make a grocery store around this morning. And I passed by, which would be like a Home Depot. It's called Sako. And there were people in line waiting to go inside. I think they have, I'm not sure what the number is for that store, but they put like a limit, like let's say 50 customers in at one time. But the line outside was like strategic, six feet mm-hmm. between each person. Yeah. And I mean, and I can't imagine followed that. Clo- those rules followed that closely in the U.S. It's not like it wouldn't social be, distancing. Yeah, they have suggestions. I mean, like I went to the grocery store yesterday, and they had a sign up. It says, you know, please keep in mind social distancing, six feet apart, whatever, whatever. But you know, yeah. people are just they're just getting to where they need to go. If they need to get right by you, they'll brush past you and. Yeah, you know they don't pay attention. I'm, I'm, I try to be aware of it and careful. It's you know sometimes hard when you're passing somebody in the aisle, but you know you do the best right. you can. I try to limit my trips, um, but yeah, I, I, I yeah. can't imagine how strict they are there. So that's good. And they did they <laughs> they they, they um, locked down the country pretty quickly. I mean a lot quicker than we yes. did here. So that was a smart yes. move too. And and we're also closer closer to China. You know, I mean, yeah. we're like, this is east. I mean, it's not that far east, but it's east. I wanted to get my own girl to start a journal. I just feel like this is such an interesting and, and, and historical time. But she's seven. I get it. I probably shouldn't be, like, that gung-ho. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So maybe, like, December, coronavirus, the first person um, that was infected. And then the cases multiplied insurmountably right like around january 21st well 
by February, it's a pandemic, and we have in Saudi Arabia been notified, like, we're, we're going to start to kind of shut things down. And um, even at the school where I work at, it's an international school, and we had a, quote, planned virtual day. So we had training leading up to this day, which happened to be March 9th, which happened to be literally March 8th, so the day, the night before, probably at uh, 10, and the minister of education from Saudi Arabia came out and was like, all schools are going virtual. So our, quote, kind of trial virtual day on March 9th became virtual day. <laughs> what would that be? Maybe a week or two, two weeks before the U.S. started their probably virtual? Probably about two weeks. So what's interesting about here in Saudi Arabia, I would, I guess I would liken the religion, the religious holiday to, I guess it's like their Christmas. They have Ramadan. And when they celebrate Ramadan, it is they don't eat from sun up to sundown. And so you're asking kids to go to school on empty bellies with lack of sleep. I mean, from what I've heard from teachers that have been teaching in the past here, they're, they, they've told me, they're like, it's just a really hard time to teach. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine if we're in lockdown and the kids have been up all day or all night rather, and then they're going to try to sit in front of their computer and do some zoom with me. I don't know how um, effective that's going to be. So in my mind, I keep thinking that, well, maybe we can just do virtual school until Ramadan and the King will be like, okay, done with school, but we'll see. Uh, they've, they've called the schools off for the public schools, but again, because we're private, that we don't have to adhere to that. So we were even told as teachers, out of respect, again, for our students, that during Ramadan, I usually have my big water bottle, for example, my Nalgene, and then drink it in front of the students because that would just be wrong. You know, that's like, hey, you can't drink anything, and here I am with my water bottle. So, oh, that's um, you can't even have water. <laughs> no. That's pretty strict. No. Strict with capitalists, yes. I would not be a very good Muslim, I know. <laughs> yeah, and how is it for I mean, you to, like, if you're a Christian and you're there, is it is it easy to worship? I don't know if you're particularly religious, but is it easy if you want to go to, can you find a church if you want to? So I just heard about, so I am a Christian. I am, um, God is, is very, I mean, I, I feel like more of a relationship. I, I know some people get turned off. When they hear the word religion, God is the most important. And yes, that was one of the concerns when we moved here. It's like, okay, well, we'll just have to do our own little family church because mm-hmm. there are no churches against the law, in fact, to practice any other religion um, than Islam. So what we found is that other teachers here on the compound, instead of like a Sunday school where Sundays are the religious set aside for the religious uh, day, Friday here, and so um, they came up with like a Friday friends group. Mm-hmm. So those that want to go and pray and read Bible, and I you do little lessons for the children, you know that kind of thing. And um, what I've heard just from other teachers is that there are churches that you have to be invited, and you kind of it's like at someone's house, like totally undercover. So I don't know, even when they were describing it to me, they, it was a Canadian couple mm-hmm. that also works at the school. I was kind of like, Oh, okay. Well, that's great. <laughs> but I don't know if I want to go. I mean, I was still a little scared. We live in the compound. So it's fully gated. You know, you have to have a, a resident card. You show ID to enter. 
super, super safe. Like my kids, it, even at five and seven, they'll go outside and just ride their bikes on the street and I feel okay. Now, if I'm in the U.S., I'm, uh, I'm not sure if I'm down with that. So yeah, super safe, but I I wasn't brave enough to try a church just yet, like an underground church. I, I wonder, and this is not a judgment, but I'm just wondering, like, if I knew these things, I had these little girls and I were, was bringing them to a country where, you know, I'm Christian and you don't have this religious freedom to practice and you don't have um, a lot of males that are like have, I don't know if the right word is respect for women, but like you mentioned, cutting in line and that's not a yes. big deal. How do yes. you feel about bringing your daughters to a culture like that? Good question. I'm okay when they're young. I'm not okay when I would say even middle school. I mean, even now they see things, but it's not, yeah, it's not as in their face now as yeah. it would be because you're their parent. You're yes. still guiding them and protecting them. Um, but they're, yes. they're not going grocery when, shopping by themselves or to the post office by themselves. Yeah. Right. And I will say that the culture as a whole loves children. I mean, like, loves kids. And I love kids, but it's different. Like if we went to Lenox Mall, for example, me and my two girls, I'm not going to have strangers come up and kiss them. And, you know, like the women and like, oh my gosh, you're so cute. You know, like wanting to give them hugs. We walk into the Red Sea Mall here and my girls feel like rock stars. The ladies are like grabbing their hands, kissing their hands. I mean, it's for my Savannah, who I think she's she might become an actress one day. I don't know. She's 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 something else. She loves it. Like she walks in, she's just like because mm-hmm, she's got this blonde hair. You know, like we stick out. We totally stick out. Oh yeah, um, I've seen pictures. But yeah, as children, gorgeous and, with that blonde oh, hair and blue eyes, and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. But the the culture loves the children, loves the kids. But again, I, I think you would see a switch like around fifth, sixth grade, I would think. If Scott and I continue to do this international teaching, I don't think this is going to be the best fit. You know, if we were in a Saudi school, for example, the girls would be in separate classes. The boys would be on one one side of the school or even one school and the girls would be on the other. Um, and even that's interesting, the education system here. So public education i believe it was 1952 that they started public education oil mm-hmm. is what sparked the economy and and um it made a lot of people wealthy overnight um, but unfortunately as far as schooling goes the family and this is this is a stereotype now as a generalization but uh the saudi families would concentrate on their sons and want to give their sons the best education. So you would have, you know, private schools for the boys with outstanding education and maybe send the girls to school or maybe not. I went to see, it was a movie called Rise. And I think the subtitle was The Journey of Saudi Women, something like that. I can look back at my Facebook feed. It was amazing. It was talking about, it was a, almost like a compilation of, of women's stories and how They've lived the history. It was really, really neat. Mm-hmm. It's a documentary. It just came out. Not but it was it filmed up. like eight mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's called Rise. Or one of the women whose story 
was in this uh, movie was actually there in the audience. It was so cool. Oh, so she stood up and did kind of like a Q and A. Say hi. Hi. I'm Smolika. Say hi. Girls. girls. Say, Your mom is telling me all about you. Anna is me. Savannah. Anna is me. Georgia. So Georgia Lee even has a accent. She's like Georgia. I can't even say her name in Arabic. I think by week one, George Lee was introducing herself to other kids in the playground in Arabic. And meanwhile, Savannah is just looking at the kids, and she's finally yelling at them, What are you speaking? I speak English. <laughs> like, runs away with her hands up in the air. And I'm like, okay, what was Savannah? Like, simmer down a little bit, okay? We're guests. We're guests here. So let's learn the language. Excellent. Okay. George Lee's the older little Savannah's the young one. But yeah. Two, two totally different personalities. I can never understand that. I feel like my students' experience, uh, especially with coronavirus, again, I teach at an international school in um, early February. We kind of had not a life skills, but I'm their homeroom teacher. And every so often, like on a Tuesday, we will go through kind of like a counseling lesson, if you will. And so one of the lessons that I went over was coronavirus and we saw a great little video. It was um, NPR just kind of describing what it is and what you can do, wash your hands. One of my students, Heyoon from Korea, raised her hand and she said, my mom went to the grocery store and she told me that like, well, actually they were giving really awful looks. Like, why are you here? Because she clearly looks Asian. And so oh. she was experiencing mm -hmm. discrimination. And we talked about that in our lesson of like, hey, this is a virus and it's impacting the entire world. There's proof that it's starting in China, but that doesn't give us this like platform to start ruthless to anyone from China or anyone looking um, Asian or Chinese. Um, and then Heyoon told me or told the class that she went to some, let's say it was like a fast food. Let's say she was in Chick-fil-A and she and two of her other Korean friends were there and some, Saudi man came up and said something rude, like just, oh, you're from China, go back to China. Why are you here? Do you have Corona? You know, just can't mm -hmm. remember exactly what he said, but it was not nice. And then her friend fired back with, oh, do you have mirrors? So it's a pandemic that started here in Saudi Arabia. So good for, I mean, obviously good for her. She's quick on her feet, quick witted to come back and yeah, look at this gentleman absolutely. and kind of fire back the same that he gave to her, making generalizations, saying that he must be sick as well. Um, but we talked a lot about staring and generalizing and making these accusations that are false. And, and I've been pretty appalled at how ruthless some of my students are like saying you stupid Egyptian and I'm like, whoa, time out. I want you to now make three things. The Egyptian culture that civilization has given us like calendars, like stop and think for a second, you know, like before mm -hmm. you just, just ask questions, get to know each other and, and stop with the stereotypes. It's, I don't remember that in middle school. I don't remember people like dogging me because I'm from the Czech Republic. Oh, yo mama from the Czech Republic. Mm, you, I just don't remember that ever coming into play. You know, yeah. I've talked to other, 
other um, minorities that did go to the schools that we went to. So for anybody who's listening that wouldn't know this, we grew up in the suburbs of Atlanta. And back in the 80s, I mean, there were just not a lot of minorities. So I, yeah. I, I know that for me personally, being Indian, I really did try to blend in. And, you know, I think a lot of people like that, like us, we just tried to blend in, even though I, I felt American, but since I looked different and, and I was, there was just so few of us versus now, I mean, gosh, you go yeah. to any school and, and the minorities are tremendous, not, not like when we yeah. were in school. So yeah, I felt a little bit out of place and I know other people did too. And it's not necessarily anything that was said to me directly. It's just a that's, general feeling. I think that's I what I was most concerned with. It's like, I'm not saying that the undertones or the um, subtleties weren't there by any means, but the but the more like out there, why are you here? You know what I mean? Like that's the kind of comment I don't remember hearing being focused. No, I just, I don't remember anybody like ever coming up to me and saying, you need to go home or back to India or you yeah. know, whatever. Nothing <laughs> like that. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to nip that, those stereotypes, the hatred, the, you know, all that in the bud as soon as I see it. I want to grow these kids to be global citizens because more and more that's what it's about. Even now facing a pandemic, scientists all over the world are collaborating together. Uh, I was listening to a podcast and the question was, which country is going to you know, make their claim that they are the ones that uh, created the vaccination for the virus? I'm like, put stamp everybody's name on it. I don't care. I don't think mm -hmm. anybody else does that's being affected by this virus. We want people to be well and healthy and, and not have to be confined. I mean, that's the other thing. If, if I'm in a lockdown for 24 hours because the government tells me to do so, that's one thing. But think about if I'm locked down for 24 hours because I can't get up off the floor to catch a breath to be able to walk because I have a virus. So anyway, I hope that for my students that they will learn to get along, no matter where you're from, what language you speak, or the religious beliefs you have, that working together for the whole. Um, yeah, it's interesting what you're saying, tell. Valerie, too, because, um, you know, I, I talk to some teachers that I know, and it's like, oh, I can't do this, and I can't say this, or, you know, like, in my classroom to a student, like, they'll complain to their parent, and then I'll get in trouble, and it seems like, um, for as restrictive as some of the things are there, it seems like you have a little bit more freedom to educate and discipline. And I, <laughs> yes, I think I think I might uh, take that liberty <laughs> on myself. I don't know. Um, you know, Scott, my husband teaches AP World History. He teaches modern world history. And one of the first units he would teach was Islam. And he was like, y'all, like, you should be teaching me. And in fact, I want you to share with me. Like, I am from the United States. I'm a Christian, you know, you're experiencing this. This is your life. You tell me. And I think just him being open, it, I, that respect for the student, the respect for the students or his respect for them. And, and in turn, they respected him that he would just wanted to have like an open dialogue. So my students know I'm Christian. We talk about God and prayer. You know, the one kid he comes in to homeroom, he's so anxious. And I'm like, well, can you control this virus? No. Who has everything in his hands? Who can control everything? Allah. Okay, great. Then you pray to Allah. You know, like, mm -hmm. 
giving him something he can do, something tangible. Well, everybody prays five times a day. And some of the students, we have a, a mosque on campus, but they've asked me from time to time, hey, can I use your room? It's our English room for prayer. Sure. I'm not going to tell the kid, no, he can't pray. I've had kids come in before during like a break time, you know, it might be lunch. And so I just sat and meditated while they're doing that. I didn't feel like it was right for me to keep clipping away at my computer. Well, so yeah, I just wanted to show them respect. So my husband's downstairs. Is he? Do you make him cook dinner ever? Oh no, he's very good at cooking and he yeah. cooks most of the time. Is there any food or, or anything that like you just missed from the States? Yeah, no bacon. Oh, <laughs> you can't oh. have any oh, like, right. pigs are unhealthy. It's not halal. It's not. So you asked me if I know Arabic, Walla, which is I swear. So if I'm like, hey, you were talking, we're in the middle of a test. Like, remember, quiet mouth. Boom, oh, miss. That's like their big thing. Like, I swear, it wasn't me. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like your mouth moving. I know it's you. So it's either Walla or Inshallah. And then Shala is God willing, but it's the culture kind of takes it to the next level. So it would be like, Hey, yeah, you want to meet for coffee? I mean, inshallah, oftentimes people just use it as sort of like, what's the word comment rather than like, they don't really mean they're giving it all to Allah in his hands, but that's what, it, that's what it translates into. It's like inshallah, like hopefully the girls and I and Scott will be able to go home for the summer to Charleston, inshallah. Yeah, my middle schoolers have taught me, walla, inshallah, what is safe to eat, what is clean, and bacon, pork, uh, not clean and not allowed in the country. Like, you could get in big trouble. So, and, uh, so bacon and probably barbecue when you, when you come back to Charleston. Yeah, yeah, barbecue. Yeah. So no uh, beer barbecue in the backyard. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, how are people like can, accepting of you? Are you, is there like a big expat community there or are you, have you found it easy to make friends? Yes. So we live in Saudia air in their uh, compound. So the um, pilots, the um, flight attendants, they all live right here, which is great. But then again, like you think about the coronavirus, holy moly, where all have they been? They've been everywhere. Everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, so when we're locked down on a compound, I don't actually feel like this is the safest place in Jeddah because these other people travel everywhere. So it was built, Saudia City, probably in the 60s. It's over. Um, I mean, I like the villa. It wouldn't be something, I mean, there's something that breaks out every day. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> My husband's like, really? Really, there's no hot water. I was like, it's got to Yeah, and I, I feel like I'm kind of responsible because I'm the one that really wanted to do international teaching. So this was more of like my dream, and I think he's on board. My life is kind of like a groundhog's day. Like we get on the bus, and it takes us to school mm -hmm. when, we, when we had school. And then we got back on the bus and went back to the compound. Like I don't really, I don't have a lot of like friends outside of the compound places I would meet people mm -hmm. like maybe at church but I don't really go to church here right mm -hmm. or if my kids have an after-school activity but we don't have a car so I don't take them somewhere we do everything at school like Savannah's in Jujitsu and Georgia Lee was doing swimming the school it's kind of like a microcosm if you will it's like we teach the same people we live with with the same so it gets a little bit 
Yeah, I understand. So no, no driving, like people just in where you live, nobody has a car. So we don't have a car yet. We are hoping to get one. Um, but yes, you could. Now Scott does have his driver's license. I don't have mine yet. There was a three month waiting list for women right now. (laughs) Cause again, it just sort of opened up. And so everybody wants to get the driver's license. So, but even, well, I mean, now it's different because we wouldn't have any place to go. Um, but in the future, we definitely want to get out and camp out in the desert. But this is something interesting that I didn't know. Uh, if you are non, if you are not Muslim, you cannot go to Mecca. You can't like, you have to like drive all the way around it. So back to just COVID-19. So when they first had that outbreak, you know, you're learning about it as the rest of the country was, did you ever think about just coming back to the U.S.? Or were you just set that you were going to stay there? Oh, that, and that's, I think that's what brought me to the, I did want to talk about the student's perspective with you because their fear was so high and their anxiety level was so high that I was being almost like (laughs) the opposite to try to just bring peace and calm. You know, they would walk in like, miss, it's everywhere. People are dying and you have Corona. And I mean, you know, then the kids would be mean because they're in middle school. They'd walk in. So-and-so has Corona. I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, stop. We're not going to say that. Um, But yeah, I could just sense their, their fear was so high um, that I wanted to not downplay, but just try to be as dogmatic. Is that Mm -hmm. the word? Right. Just like Mm -hmm. as real as like, this is what it is. It's nothing more right now. Yes, it spreads, but what we know so far is that it's not deadly. Little pieces of truth rather than get caught up in like, this is a pandemic and everyone's dying. It's the end of the world. Yeah. Um, but I tried to stay calm. But I will tell you that uh, Embassy has said, we just got a text maybe two days ago, that the U.S. government is going to organize a flight for expats to go back to the United States. And you have to sign up and get on this list and that could happen like a day. So you get on the list, they'll tell you like, okay, flight's ready, go. And I'll be honest, I, over the past couple of nights, like the scenario, what, what my husband and I do, I think we're safer here. Well, I was about to say, yeah, because I think like I was reading up how Saudi Arabia handled this versus the U.S. And, you know, they they locked down quicker. And I think because of that, I think it's called MERS that you mentioned earlier. They were better prepared to deal with it, with the testing and the, um, you know, just the ventilators and just being set up and ready for it. Better prepared than the U.S. And they've got hefty fines, like hefty fines. If you... Uh, let's say, um, actually, some of my husband's stints, they had friends that stayed out after the 7 p.m. curfew, got hit with a good fine. I can't remember exactly. I think it's 10,000 SAR, which would be like 3,000 US. I think it's that much. And second offense, where you have to pay more money. So people, people aren't messing around. It's, oh, and the king came out and said that all treatment will be free to Mm -hmm. nationals, to expats, to immigrants, everybody, everybody who who is here, who is in Saudi Arabia will receive treatment. That's fabulous. Yeah. That's, that's, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. That they, yeah. And, and that was my big concern truly coming. It's like, I want to get back to the U S because of 
the medical treatment that, you know, just what we could get in the U.S. as opposed to here because it's a socialist um, healthcare, right? Like Saudi, if I'm Saudi, I've got great healthcare. It's probably one of the best in the world if you are Saudi. And if you're not, I mean, I have my insurance through this pool, but like I have to pay for them, you know, it's that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel too comfortable going into and, and um, thankfully I haven't done a whole lot of like doctor visits here. It's like, I didn't know how much I'd have to pay out of pocket, how much different um, procedures would be, or even like if I was so comfortable, Th that news from the King is like the comfort that I needed to say, yeah, it's safer here for sure. And then if anything were to happen, we would get the treatment we need. So I feel like it's a done deal, but then I also feel like, shoot, if this is the window and I miss it, I'll be so bummed. Yeah. I'll be so bummed to yeah. stay here all summer and not make it hot, like hot, hot. Like you can't walk outside hot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like everyone here in Saudi Arabia takes vitamin D. <laughs> because it's so dang hot. You don't mm -hmm. go outside. Yeah. Well, I'm, it sounds like you're you're pretty safe where you are. I mean, it might not be the most fun, but, you know, pretty safe. So that's right. <laughs> So, you know, that's really the most important thing for everybody right now. Well, it sounds like your kids are getting pretty restless, and I've asked all the questions, and I've taken enough of your time. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. See you on the next episode.